Welcome to the Blends, Breaks, and Blends that Shape Our Future podcast. I am your host, Troy Rice. Creativity is often taught as a solo practice, and therefore a person that is good at drawing or music is said to be creative. But creativity for kids as well as adults is not limited to the creative arts. Most things we value in life today did not derive from an original idea, but rather concepts that have been blended, broken, or blended. A result from disciplined focus, connecting big picture insights with rigor and testing and small variations. This podcast is to inspire you to create your future, a future you can be proud to live in. On this podcast, you will learn creative practices, stories from creatives themselves, and creativity and history. Looking to get started with an idea? Visit troyrice.life and join a creativity group sharing your idea for thoughtful and rapid feedback to help you create your future. All right, now go blend, break, and blend our world, your world. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Bends, Breaks, and Blends that Shape Our Future podcast. I'm your host, Troy Rice. On today's show, we have creative entrepreneur, food health enthusiast, and mom of four, Katie Kimball. Katie is the creator of Kitchen Stewardship and Kids Cook Real Food. Kitchen Stewardship is a place to enjoy real food recipes and foodie research about what's safe for your family and why. And Kids Cook Real Food teaches kids to cook enabling their entire family to thrive while consuming healthy food and empowering kids to own their future health journey. Katie has been featured in many international viewed talk shows, local TV network shows, national podcasts, and magazines. Katie has given multiple TEDx talks, including teaching kids critical thinking skills, picky eating isn't about the food, and the power of teaching kids to cook. Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trey. I always feel like I should like, I don't know, crawl under the desk <laughs> when people read about me like that. Let's just stick with a mom of four who can't stop talking. You got it. I, I mean, I love the, that concept too. I know you and I share that <laughs> with the kids. And so that works too. So let's dig right in. The first question we ask all of our guests is what does creativity mean to you? When I think about that root create I feel like there's two parts, right? We, what we create with our hands and what we create in our minds. Mm. And so for me, like creativity, people often go right to the artistic and they'll say, oh, I'm not creative because maybe they don't feel like they're a good writer or a good musician or whatever. But I feel like we all can create something, right? We all can be creative either in our thoughts. If we give our thoughts enough space to think of any new idea that's ours, right? Like that's creativity is like, I thought of something or I asked a question that I've never asked before. Like, boom, you are a creative person now, but also there's like creating with your hands. So whether you're a woodworker or a gardener or someone who can chop vegetables and put them into a pot, you know? So obviously I, I work in the kitchen and I teach kids to cook. And so when I think of creativity, I think of the both and right in the kitchen, we can create something just straight up following someone else's recipe. But if we have created it with our hands, we've poured some of ourselves mm. into that dish, right? And right. so we are creative because we have created. But then also we can have that artistic flair of the creativity of tweaking someone else's recipe or opening the fridge and going, oh, like, what can I make up with these ingredients, you know, and throwing in some herbs and actually like being a little bit artistic. And so, so I like to talk to kids about both of them. I think 
I think many of us are stronger in one or the other, right? Or kind of prefer one or the other. And a little science geek tidbit that I love is that working with your hands, whether it's painting or Play-Doh or chopping those vegetables actually opens up the parts of your brain that tell stories. Mm. So it connects one to the other. So working with your hands can initiate those more creative artistic parts of your brain too. Very cool. Very cool. One thing you uncovered there too, which is a part of this podcast is this is about the breaks, blends uh, that and, and blends that break that shape our future. The reason we say that is because most people think that they have to be, have an original idea, right? It has to come from this creative space that's never been done before. Nobody's ever used before, but that's not true. Like most things in life have actually been reshaped, innovated, uh, and whatever that looks like to make something new uh, that's either more efficient, uh, easier to use, more attractable. Consumers just seem to latch on to and so that might be one of the blockers for, for people uh, when they start to think about that. But let's let's go back uh, and you can go back as far as you want. Uh, and so what we do is we give our guests like an opportunity to even go back to their childhood if you want. But when you think of creativity, where does it start for you? So we're laying down on the couch now and talking about our childhoods. Troy, you didn't warn me. No, <laughs> I, I was such a creative kid. I used to paint rocks and sell them to my neighbors and family members. And looking back, I feel kind of sorry for them. Um, And I just, I would, I would draw and I would cut up paper and like, I don't know, there's something about being a kid. And and maybe this was that my parents let me, you know, like somehow they didn't completely squash that creativity because it's hard as a parent now to not look at your kid and go kid, like, and this is a true story from a couple of years ago, kid, that's a wagon full of cut up paper. You can't take that around the neighborhood and try to sell it. (laughs) That's not art, but who am I to judge someone else's cut up paper? Right. So I think, I think creativity is much less something that we have to find or that grows or that does start. It's like, it's completely in there. So as parents, we have to not squish it. (laughs) And as, as adults, we probably just have to like re discover it is, is my guess for people who aren't feeling creative. Like it's there. It's just been squashed by the school Mm. system, by parents trying to keep us in line by, you know, adults who have these ideas of what the boxes should look like. And we all just kind of have to tear apart the boxes and climb out. Yes. So let's uncover two things there. One, um, any influencers that you had, like you can think back of as growing up as a kid or to now, uh, to keep on your creative journey. And then two, what are some things that, that kids can do and or parents can help out with to help their kids stay in a creative mind and not have that squash, whether the school system does it, whether parents are learning to stop, stop doing it. And so can we cover those two areas? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think if I had any, you know, specific teachers who were particularly creative. I think, I mean, I went to elementary school in the eighties and from what I know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a trained teacher. That was my my first job, that was what I knew I wanted to do since kindergarten. And then ironically, you know, it took, had five years to get a degree and only two years in the classroom, but, but I'm still a teacher, right? I still teach all the time, whether that's my four kids or hundreds of thousands of people out on the internet who I type to, you know, and, or right now, right. I'm, I'm still teaching. Like, that's my heart. That's never going to go away. And I feel like creativity is the same. I think my elementary teachers were more able to give us like ridiculously open-ended projects 
if that makes sense. Whereas I think now teachers feel much more pre-scripted, unfortunately, sadly, the, the good ones are still able to take those prescriptions and make them into open-ended projects. But that just, I don't know, I didn't need encouragement. I just needed permission, yeah. right? I needed that space. Um, and I think spaces, that's the same answer to your question number two is how do we, how do we rediscover it or how do we encourage creativity in our kids is just space mm. and maybe silence. Um, I think, I think about a lot of, a lot of our lives right now, there's a constant input. Mm -hmm. If we're doing dishes or folding laundry, we've been encouraged to listen to podcasts or we have earbuds and we have music. We have the TV on in the background. You know, I, I know people who just feel unsettled if they don't have the TV on in the background. I'm like, Ooh, I kind of feel unsettled if I do. And so as much as I'm really efficiency minded and I'm like, Oh, if I'm you know, listening to this Bible in a year podcast, every time I'm doing a chore, like that's going to be on, but, but I don't want to do that. I want to, I, I really value like thought time. Yes. And so sometimes doing the dishes or going for a walk without earbuds, right. Or without a friend with you is, is a really good space for like thoughts to jangle around in my head. And I'll come back with a great story I want to incorporate into my next talk or a great introduction to, you know, my next blog post or a new idea for an event I want to run, you know, like you can't come up with ideas if you, if you don't have space without input coming in, yes. you have to have time for that, that output. Right. And th then those thoughts to, to happen. And so I think we need to give our kids that too. Amazing. Right? So space. Henry Ford was quoted one time for saying that thinking was the hardest thing that man can do. And that was back in his time. Just imagine like nowadays with distractions and social media, but it's so true. Like we replace boredom with anything else that we can grab our hands on because we have a lens to that. We have a million things that we could grab in an instance uh, to fill that void. And so almost, I believe kind of what you were saying is teaching kids silence and boredom or leveraging silence and boredom for creativity. Yep. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of boredom. In fact, I was talking with a kindergarten teacher once, a former colleague of mine, and I can't even remember what the topic, we were just talking about like how kids have changed and how teaching has changed. And one of the things she said is that she will take her kindergarten class, right? So five and six-year-olds out to the front of the school where there's nothing but grass bushes and a sign, mm. right? So this is recess, no swings, no slide, no fancy pants, playground structures, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And she says she specifically does that to see what they will do when they're bored. And the first time, the first day they go out, they are helpless and hopeless. They're wandering about, they're coming up to her every 60 seconds. Teacher, yeah. teacher, what do I do? What do I do? They like five-year-olds, they have no idea what to do with their, their themselves, their lives without constant stimulation. Isn't that wild? Yes. And, and then after a few days, they begin to learn the game of pick up a stick and use your imagination, yeah. right? And they make up games. And I just thought that was um, one of the best, I think, tips for teachers and parents that I can imagine. And, and um, you know, again, yeah, as parents, we're so efficiency minded and we're so, we're so output focused and future focused. It's like, if your kid is wasting time, right? Quote, big air quotes, wasting time. We're going to say, Hey kid, find something to do. Hey, I bought you 5 million toys. And by the way, these are my words. Cause I don't always get it right. You have 5 million toys, go find one, you know? Yeah. And so I have to do a little self coaching sometimes when my kid is just wandering about with a piece of paper or a stick or a random ball, you know, and just be like, 
let them, let them be, you know, see what they'll do. Yeah. Well, and we, we went through this discovery phase and I know many parents did too, when COVID first happened with homeschooling. Um, mm -hmm. And one thing we noticed is like when we challenge the kids with some type of creative exercise versus curriculum, it was something that they actually enjoy talking about later, like sharing at the dinner table when the question comes up, like, all right, share about your day. What did you learn? And so we were teaching uh, at the time, uh, our, our six-year-old now, how to read and write. Uh, and so instead of going curriculum-based, I would send him outside and I would tell him to write his alphabetical letters all over the sidewalk, the road, wherever, and then make uh, mom or I, you know, find it as like a search. And he was so excited to share that that night at the dinner table. And so it was almost like this discovery journey, right? Which is like, maybe kids don't want to share as much about what they learn or and or are not learning as much as they could because of the forum and, and the ways that we're, we're teaching them how to learn. Uh, it seems a little bit faster. Yeah, I mean, think about it. When when someone says, what did you do today, Troy? Do you say I waited in line in my ear for 20 minutes? <laughs> no, that is not exciting. It's not exciting to wait in line, nope. to get in line, to, to do what you're told. It's exciting to use your brain and discover, right? Yes. So to me, that makes that makes perfect sense. And um, for some reason, that reminded me of a story one of our picky eating membership yeah. um, families recently told. And mostly because I was thinking like, you had to use your creative brain and not just, you know, it's so easy. I think for homeschool parents to be like, okay, awesome. I bought this curriculum. I'm going to follow it. Now I don't have to think. And, and that's, that's my story. That's many parents' stories is particularly by the end of the day, you know? Oh. So even if your kids are in traditional school, you're seeing them at dinner time at the end of the day, you kind of feel spent. Mm -hmm. And when I coach parents, I say often, I say, I know you're exhausted at the end of the day. I know you don't feel like you have a scrap of creativity left, which is why sometimes we need that time more toward the beginning of the day, maybe to think about our parenting. Right. And because if we're not creative in our parenting, we're probably missing opportunities, right? Yeah. We're probably missing opportunities. And so if we're exhausted, if we're completely exhausted and unwilling or unable to put in the effort, mm -hmm. that's a bummer. Everybody loses. Anyway, this this mom was telling the story of um, her very, very, very picky eater, very afraid of trying new foods. And she decided that for afternoon snack, they would all try dried mango together. And she gave everybody a post-it and had them rate it. And you didn't have to eat it because that's a huge piece of my program is no pressure to eat. But she was like, you know, whoever wants to taste it, like, let's do a little toast, a little cheers. And, and we can all like be the judges and rate it. And her very, very picky eater, actually, I think he just licked it. Like he encountered it, right? He didn't actually mm -hmm. eat it, which is fine. Like that's still a massive step in the right direction for our kids who are so terrorized of food. Um, but then at dinner, he went and got a post-it and put it next to his plate so that he could be, you know, the judge now of these new foods that were coming in front of him at dinner. And I thought I complimented her on her creativity yeah. because that was not an idea she got for me, it's a great idea. And I, and I just said, that's what we got to do is like, that's going to work for a couple of days. Then it's not going to work anymore because it's not new and novel. And we like have to continually innovate and be creative in our parenting as like, as I do and you do in our businesses too. Like we have to keep coming up with new ideas. Yes. And that's a lasting memory, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many dinner tables I've sat at that I can't really recall and or were stressful or whatever it was. But when you create things like that, even if it lasts a day or two, it creates a memory and you better believe that kid's going to come around and share it. Especially if they're six, like they're usually the kids are like, yeah, dad, remember that time a year ago when we did this at the dinner table? And it's like, 
It's crazy the things you remember, but um, absolutely. So we're, I love that we're digging into uh, parents, creativity, and kids. And so can you share a little bit about yourself, like personal practices that you do to kind of stay uh, in a creative space? And then maybe share one or two that you do with your own kids uh, outside of any of the programs that you run uh, with your companies. Yeah, um, I've never actually thought about like, intentional creative exercises, I don't think, which is a little bit sad because like I said, I am a teacher. Um, it's more of just pieces of our day, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I like asking my kids lots of questions. So I think that's important to let their, let their brains wander. Um, and again, I, I come back to giving space and having yeah. some silence, having some, you know, open-ended things that we're doing. Um, what do I do for myself? Goodness. Again, I'm just, so, I'm one of those people who's just so full of ideas that it's hard. It's like, I need to almost take like non-creative time and force myself to be an organized person. Um, but I, I, I make a lot of, I make a lot of collections of stories, you know, where I'll write things down to try to remember them for later. I, I tend to look at life, especially, especially now that I'm like, I'm a writer and I'm a speaker. And so I'm constantly have these like two lenses on life. One is like, I'm just normal Katie. I'm going through my day. I'm assessing, you know, my parenting, how are my kids doing? Right. Like the lens we all look. And then at the same time, I have like the second pair of glasses where I'm like getting up above and looking at it from the lens of others. How, Mm. how could I use this situation to teach someone something? Right. Or like, what's, what's an analogy with this really funny story that just happened. Could I use that in some way to like connect with other people's creativity? Cause we know that our, our brain works on stories. You know, if you listen to a speaker or like you're at church and the sermon begins, if it starts with a story, mm-hmm. you're not zoning out in the first 60 seconds. Yes. But if it starts with like the teaching, the lesson, like very rote, probably within 60 to 120 seconds, you're, you're pulling your attention back and going, oops, I was just, thinking about shopping, you know, <laughs> like you're, yeah. so you're scattered. So that wasn't a very good answer. Cause I don't, I don't really have like exercises. It's more of a culture. I think that's part of our family culture that we value creativity, complement it and make space for it. Well, so as you were talking, so maybe it's not formal per se, uh, as far yes. as the regimen, but when you're talking, like I had this visual, like the, the glass lenses that you're talking about, like I have like these two sets of lenses and one of them is like my personal journey's perspective of how I'm doing. And then the, ex- then the next one is the creative. How am I going to take what I've learned, either reflection of my personal and then teach it because they say, you know, what you teach it, you, you lock in in memory. Right. Yeah. And so I almost just pictured like these two sets of lenses that you're operating on in every day. And I, I don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Quick and his like limitless and speed reading memory stuff, but I mean, he often talks about that the best way to remember anything is to associate words with a story. So if you need to learn like 10 words or you need to learn a concept, you build a story in your mind around that concept or those words, and you can remember it forever. Uh, and that's something that we don't teach in school, right? We don't teach kids how to learn. We teach them what to learn. Uh, and so it's, it's fascinating. Um, so you did uncover it. You just probably didn't feel like it was <laughs> the standard formal approach. Um, right. Yeah. It's definitely informal. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. So how about, how about for your kids? Like, I know you do, you do a lot in the kitchen and, and 
absolutely share some in the kitchen too, if you want. Um, but what are some things that come to mind that you have done with your kids over the years that you found have worked and, or parents can kind of latch onto and use? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, saying yes to their interests and passions Mm -hmm. is huge. I, um, back, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was home and people weren't really traveling that first summer was all very strange. We didn't, people didn't really quite know what to do with themselves. And my kids spent hours and hours and hours outside in the front lawn. I don't know why the front, not the back, but by the end of the summer, they basically had an amphibian and reptile farm snakes and frogs and toads. And, um, they learned from failure about things like air holes and opaque versus transparent containers on a 90 degree day. Mm. That was a sad day. Um, but I, I did zero research. I asked them a lot of questions, you know, about what they were learning, but mostly I just gave them space. And so, and what did they do? They did research. They watched YouTube videos. They learned about, you know, food sources and who eats whom generally, as opposed to who eats what, and you know, in the animal world. Yes. And at the end of the summer, they petitioned for some of those creatures to come in our house. So then they Mm -hmm. had to research light and heat and food sources in the winter. And I'm telling you what, (laughs) I mean, these kids know more about amphibians and reptiles now. And I know that sounds like science and rote and learning, but I see it as creativity because they created their own curriculum basically, right? Like that was not me generated. So anything that's self-generated comes back to, I I think the definition of creativity is, you know, you're creating something. So we now have four snakes, two toads, one gecko, and maybe it's a mealworm farm. I hope that's it. Sometimes I'm like, where did this animal come from? Did you petition for rent for this one? Like (laughs) you need to go through the parents. Um, So it's been now, now this is almost two years later. We still have these creatures in our house and it's like a whole neighborhood collaborative passion project. Um, so making space and saying yes, which are both very hard things for parents to do. Cause we, we many of us like to control things mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. And, and just kind of encouraging it too. Like that, that comes more in the kitchen where like, I know what I'm doing and they don't know as much, although some of them are getting to be better cooks than me, but just like asking, like, what seasonings do you want to use? You know, how might you change this recipe? Okay. You didn't love dinner tonight do we change this recipe to make it better or what, you know, what kind of recipe should we look up for tomorrow kind of thing? Just giving them a little bit of agency, a little bit of choice and, and sort of opening up that box of anything that's wrote so that they see the potential that they can make changes. Yeah. And you, you're empowering them to be an intentional learner, right. Versus mm-hmm. just uh, absorbing the information and you send them outside and they teach themselves about science. They're intentionally learning like they want to be in that environment they want to understand that you said like they go and they search youtube and they learn more like they they tend to like it a lot more and retain a lot more if it's something they actually care about doing themselves versus somebody telling them that they should learn it so that was so true very cool so i know we talked about it in a little bit in the beginning uh which is this concept of fear and it gets brought up a lot uh as far as how it they go through school systems or when you grow up as a kid, if, if you have parents that kind of squash it, not, not maybe purposely, but just unintentionally like squash an idea that's not perfect or something. Uh, and so 
and what it, what happens is it might create fear, right? And so then we kind of get into these like daily regimens and we're not really liking where we're at someday and then we're forced to change. Um, so share a little bit about that from your perspective, like fear either you've experienced and you kind of persisted through or even with your programs, like parents that are trying to get into this journey of, of working with a picky toddler or or learning uh, how to maneuver around a kitchen uh, and feel comfortable in doing so. Um, but where does fear come in for you, for for somebody you work with? And what are some tips maybe to help people uh, to kind of break through that and, you know, create, create something? I think personally, I've always had, well, not always. I mean, kids, kids don't care what other people's people think about them, right? And so the bigger your ideas and the bigger your actions, unfortunately, the faster you attract people who are overtly judging you, hmm. which, so that's my story for sure. Like I was a little bit of a, like, just, I don't know, super smart, super creative, very probably strange little child. Um, but I didn't care. Right. I just did all the things. And like, I had friends, but as you get into elementary school and especially middle school, which is just like this horrible gauntlet of society, lots and lots of kids would overtly judge me and, and say words and treat me maybe differently because of a choice that I had made. Mm. And so, so there was definitely that feeling of being like beaten down, uh, of being excluded of being teased. And so that really, I think that really like hurts, hurts emotionally, like hurts the psyche. Um, and, mm. and unfortunately a lot of people then like internalize that and shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, luckily I think just my personality and the fact that, um, my parents gave me a really safe and supportive and like loving environment, lot, lots of compliments. And, you know, like my dad just thinks I can do no wrong. <laughs> He's funny, like to an extreme probably, but it worked for me. Great. Instead of internalizing it and shutting down, I was able to just be like, well, these people are just whacked out. Like, I don't care what they think mm -hmm. of me. I'm just going to like choose to be even weirder. So that if they tease me for being weird, I'm like, yeah, I chose to be weird. Like whatever, yeah. like you can't hurt me. So that was, you know, sort of, I've been definitely like a tumultuous junior high, high school years. Um, and even, even college had moments. So I think, I think it has, all of that has made me a little more tentative, um, a little more fearful than maybe I should be. I'm not the person who just like jumps off the cliff or who steps into big projects really quickly. So for me, that, that just made me move a little slower. So I like to sort of release my ideas in concentric circles, right? I have mm. a new big idea and maybe I'm afraid of what other people will think, or I'm afraid it will fail. Like those are, I think the two biggest <laughs> fears in life, right? Is oh, sure. what do people think of me and what if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. um, so I like, I like to test it in closer circles first. So I like to bounce ideas off friends or my husband or even my kids, you know, especially if it's something for kids, what do you guys think? I like to bounce things off my team. Yeah. And then I'll go to like a mastermind of other colleagues and just like, let them help me shave off the rough edges. Mm -hmm. Right. And like improve before I send things out, like to the whole world, at least big things that will take a lot of work, you know? And then on the other hand, sometimes like, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to say whatever I want. <laughs> so that's, that's more, most of the time, I think that's a good attitude. You know, you, you can go too far and you can offend people and that's not cool. We got to think about others, but sure. So I guess, I guess that's, that's sort of my up and down journey. Um, as far as being fearful of failure, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's similar. I know in our, again, in our family, we try to create a culture where failure is valued. Failure is seen as, as a step 
forward as opposed to a step backward. Yes. If that, if that makes sense. Right. So like crud that didn't work, it failed. Like we can either dwell in it and sit there <laughs> on our path and it's like a step backward, or we can say, okay, ugh, like this is a piece of the story. Stories always move forward. We have to turn the next page and see what we can use, what we can use this failure for, for the next step, I guess. And so I, you know, I know that I think that's really hard for kids. I know I've got a perfectionist. One of mine is such a perfectionist. Yes. Goodness gracious. This child is like, I don't want to take a class that's too hard because I have to get an A. Mm. No, 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 no. You want to take classes that are really hard. Like it's not about getting an A and like diminishing what you do. So we're working. That's like in process right now. Like how, how do you turn a perfectionist into a recovering perfectionist? That's, that's what I'm, you know, again, I'm in the middle of, I can't, I don't know how, I don't know the answer. I can't teach that, but I, but I do know that valuing failure is at the root of a lot of things. And it's not about not being fearful. It's about stepping through the fear and like letting the fear stay with you, but you have to keep moving. Yes. Amazing. And so, um, what I, what I've often learned too, about this is especially for somebody that's a perfectionist, any task of constraint is a building block for somebody that's a perfectionist. In other words, like how many things can you give them big or small that have significant constraints in the beginning where they have to just, no matter what, go through a little bit of struggle to get there. And finally they realize like the progress is what makes everything work. Uh, right. Not the perfection of something. And so we had, as a personal story, like we had Kellen, he's like, he's, he's our inventive mind uh, kid, but he loves taking like cardboard boxes and building things and then using duct tape or whatever. Uh And he started off with this journey of building a vending machine uh, out of cardboard. And the first time he did it, it just, it didn't work. Right. Like he was trying to push things through it and he had this contraption that accepted, you know, some type of form of, of payment or whatever, and it didn't work. And Instead, I I took a lot of pause. Like as a parent, I wanted to like give him the fix, right? I wanted to say, well, you know, you should do this or do that. And I just stopped and I said, well, I I I think that there's something that's probably not working. You probably have to just go back to your room and try again. And he didn't like that answer, right? He was looking for some solutions, but he came back with the second iteration, and then the third, and then the fourth. And then finally a fifth one that worked and, the, and just the look on his face was just incredible. Right. But it was the struggle to get there. And I think it's just a continuous practice of that. Like make your kids go through that journey, like that struggle, because when it becomes like the real world, like a business and you're trying to grow something that maybe is tied to money or, or anything for your family, like it might feel a little bit more heavy, but if you build in a practice now, then you'll be able to kind of withstand that, that pain. Yeah. To applaud and experience the struggle. Yes. Very cool. So I always want to leave a little bit of time at the end uh, for our guests to share uh, what they're up to in the world. And you're doing a lot of different things, uh, including some amazing talks, uh, educational talks for parents uh, and kids. And so let's start with kitchen stewardship. What's kitchen stewardship about? Yeah. Kitchen stewardship. uh, The goal is to help busy families stay healthy without going crazy. And people always laugh when they (laughs) like read that part in the bio. Um, But that was because, I mean, it grew out of a place of crazy. When I was a young mom, it just felt like everything I did to make my family healthier would like 
suck all my time away. And if I tried to do something to save time, it was super expensive. You know, there were like all these just tensions and pulls where it felt like, you know, every good thing I did would like hurt another area of life. And so you feel a little crazy. And so that's what the goal of kitchen stewardship, it's teaching parents what's healthy, what's not, you know, what's worth it. What are some habits and routines you can set, particularly in the kitchen, but also with other like eco-friendly, non-toxic sort of categories where you can do something that saves time and money. Glory, hallelujah. Right. And so that's, that's kind of my focus and just give offering a lot of grace in the baby steps. So family-friendly recipes, uh, little bits of research and products that our families tried as like, I, I would, we'll buy something new and I'll try it and I'll go, I don't think they had a real family test this, <laughs> right? Like I think either a professional chef tested this or like some random person for one hour, but this was definitely not tried in a family. So that's like, when I do a product review, that's what people enjoy about it is that we try things hardcore. <laughs> Absolutely. And I imagine you, you try it with your kids, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it a ton of fun actually. Um, when, when you bring kids in. Awesome. And so kids cook real food is another uh, company or program that you created too. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. Out of, out of my community at Kitchen Stewardship, I heard that same story of, of our generation. People would say, Katie, I really do want to be healthy, but I don't even know how to cook, Mm. right? Forget cooking healthy. I don't know how to cook from scratch at all. And I realized kind of through watching even myself um, and realizing that others like weren't teaching our kids to cook either because we're uncomfortable in the kitchen and Mm -hmm. we don't want to teach what we're still kind of learning ourselves. And I thought, gosh, 20 years from now, the eight-year-olds are going to be going, oh, I wish I could be healthy, but my mom never taught me to cook. Right. And so that's, that's a vicious cycle. I thought somebody has got to step in and Mm -hmm. like make it easier for parents to get their kids in the kitchen. And so I'm like, okay, education degree, mom of four, like have a real heart for our kids' generation. Like that's, this is what I'm going to do now. And um, so, yeah, so Kids Cook Real Food is is our flagship course, teaching kids ages two to 12, over 30 basic skills. It's it's not about learning recipes. It's about filling the toolbox with skills to to make any recipe and to use that creativity. Uh, We say we build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. Nice. And so when I, when I think about food too, I habits come to mind, like how I, my habits in the home, um, do you find it easier to teach kids to build those habits? And then it kind of changes the family dynamic around food or does the habit change start with the parents first? The education is for the parents. Like, I think the parents mind has to be in the right place that like, this is important right? What my kids eat actually is important for their health. And I'm, you know, I'm waving that flag, raising that banner, but yes, I do think it's, it's so much easier for the kids to learn and the parents to learn along with them on accident than to say like, okay, moms, let's learn to cut an onion. Like the moms just want to get her done. But because we'll, we will pour into our kids, like so countless moms say like, Katie, like, don't tell like I'm totally learning along with my kids, you know, which I think is beautiful. Start with the inspiration from the parent and then the, the practical lessons for the kids then trickle back to the parents. So it's, it's great. Oh, that's huge. I mean, many parents never get started. And even if they know it's important, they might enroll their kids in something, but they still feel uncomfortable themselves. And so I love like the, the side effect of what happens when your kids become more, uh, helpful in the kitchen, um, probably naturally brings the parents in. So that's cool. 
Well, and our classes are designed for the home too, to, to oh. be done together. Right. Yeah. So we, we do have what we call kids cook solo for kids ages eight and up that, that grad of the pandemic, people are like, Katie, can I have enough time with my kids right now? Please give me something where I can just hand them the tablet. So we do have a, a little class that kids can do on their own, yes. but, but really it's meant to be this like family togetherness. And there's even connections. Like if you have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old really hard to do something all together. But as a mom of four, I, I know that that's a need. And so we have the classes at the developmental levels for all three, but then there's always a thread that ties them together on that day. The food that they make sort of combines to make one cohesive meal or snack. And so parents love that, that they can, everybody can sort of be together doing their own thing, but all like, you know, again, like in community, having showing that family unity. Interesting. I think you just sold me a product. I, that's me, right? <laughs> that's uh, the two seven ten dynamic. We, I mean, we also have a baby too, but that's that's us in a in a, in a box. <laughs> but, no way. I did. I actually but, pulled those numbers out of the air. I forgot. That's, that's, that's very that cool. I'm gonna have to look into that for sure. <laughs> um, uh, awesome. And so be- before we uh, before we end the show too, I also want to give you a chance to share a little bit about your your TED talk. So I know you've done uh, a number of them. And all of them are, you know, rooted in health and kids and parenting. And so um, share a little bit about some of the, the TED Talks um, for, our, for our audience so they know that they can go look it out and check it out. Well, thank you for that. Any, yeah, anyone who can share those that just, that's a gift to me for sure, because they were so much work and such a labor of love. Uh, the, for the one that you mentioned, the power of teaching kids to cook, it's actually, that's a fake TED Talk, just to be clear. <laughs> that was that was the first TEDx talk I prepared. And then that whole event was canceled for the pandemic. Oh no. Right. So um, a speaking coach I was working with at the time said, Katie, like, I think parents need this message yeah. now in 2020 and you should just do it yourself. So I rented a stage Amazing. and I just filmed it myself. So that's like on my own YouTube channel. It kind of looks like a TED talk, but it's not really, <laughs> it's okay. our TED X. Um, but nonetheless, amazing stories of parents and kids working together, building that creativity in the kitchen, you know, and, and yeah, the power of teaching kids to cook. It's not just about the food and the skills. It's about that connection with the family, with the food. It's about that creativity, you know, where they're working with their hands and it opens up the stories in their brain and all those beautiful things. Um, but then I still had to, and now I had to write a whole new talk for the next year for the postponed event. So what really bubbled to the surface talking with my community. Again, I like those concentric circles, right? I'm going to test out my ideas with bigger and bigger audiences um, was what if kids never build critical thinking skills? Mm-hmm. So I really, I really saw a paucity of critical thinking throughout the pandemic at all ages and all educational levels. And it blew me away. And I thought, you know, of all the things schools, maybe aren't you just, some schools are teaching critical thinking, Praise be to God. Some schools are teaching creativity, but man, (laughs) it just felt like such a need to, to have more critical thinkers. And my premise is kind of like, yes, the prefrontal cortex starts developing at age 11, stops developing at 25, but that doesn't mean that we don't teach critical thinking skills until age 11 or 12. Yes. We have to lay the foundations. The moment our children are, you know, the moment we are creating habits in our home for our toddlers. So that's kind of my twist on that. Um, and then I got to talk about picky eating, which is one of my favorite subjects because it's so painful and so emotional. And so many parents carry this guilt 
mm-hmm. of like, it's my job to like raise this little human into a bigger human and I can't even get food in them. Yes. Failure, right? They feel like that's a failure. And so it's, it's definitely become my mission and passion as I, as I'm working to teach kids to cook, I'm realizing like parents need even more. They need kids to have a great relationship with food. So it's all intertwined. Um, but that what if picky or not, no, what is it called? Picky eating isn't all about the food is a little bit of a mind bender for parents. Cause it seems like it should be about the food, but I, I give a number of reasons why it's not. Yes. And so that, I mean, that one hits home for me always. Uh, so I probably for many parents out there that have multiple kids where you have like this, this thought process of, well, I, I hate having to make two meals, right? Because I have one kid or whatever that doesn't eat it ever. And so you kind of make like a pseudo meal on the side. And so, you know, my wife and I have, have been in this journey for a long time uh, with multiple kids. And I'm sure parents can share the same uh, sentiment. And so beautiful. So I hope you, I hope everybody goes and checks that out. Um, I know that I, I did, I have watched it and my wife and I are always uh, in taking as much education as we can around the concept of picky eating. Um, so, well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us today. It's, uh, it's been a treat for me. I know uh, we're, we're friends. And so I'm grateful to have you on uh, and talk about your creative uh, process. Do you have any last words you want to share with our guests before we end the show today? See, that was just so fun because these are not the questions I, you know, yes. always, I'm always answering the same questions in interviews. So for me, that's fun. And so that's, let's spin that like final tip off of that is that seeking your creativity is being just outside the edge of your comfort zone or just outside the edge of your normal. And in general, the world is not going to push you there. The world, the culture is very happy to have you sitting in your armchair, in your comfort zone with the news on your phone and Netflix on your TV, right? Excellent. Yes. World's not going to push you. So you have to make a decision to do something that is a little scary, to do something a little bit outside your comfort zone or just something different yes. in this week than you would have done last week on that same day of the week, right? Yes. Push, a little, little nudge. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. Uh, this is the Bends, Breaks, and Blends that Shape Our Future podcast. We love to bring on amazing guests from all walks of life to share their creativity journey, their influencers, and how they've gotten to where they are today to hopefully inspire you to go out there and create your future. So hope you join us next time for another amazing guest. Thank you again, Katie, and we will see you next time.